We've got Sheila Meggers. She's the school finance guru for the district and Stacy Goss, communications specialist with USD 308 with us. And as nerdy as Sheila and I are going to get later, uh, let's start with Stacy um, and talk just a little bit about some of the upcoming fundraisers. We're going to have the folks from Rise Up Reno about John Young's going to come talk to us about their fundraiser later this week. But I know that they're that they work hand in glove with you guys, at the school district. They do. And I wouldn't mind if you call me guru as well. I really like that. I think that would, that would warm my heart. All right. Um, yeah, so we have, um, of course, the Rise Up Reno. We have the We Are Salt Hawks um, fundraiser coming up soon. Um, there's just a lot going on in the community to support our students. Um, the We Are Salt Hawks group operates independently from the district, but they do a lot for us. They work hand-in-hand -hand with our booster club. Um, and last year they raised correct me if I'm wrong, Sheila, about $70,000. And that goes toward um, meals. It goes to travel. It goes to supporting the coaches with all of their crazy ideas and things that they want and want to do for the students. So um, it's a big fundraiser. Um, it also provided over the past couple of years, free admission for USD 308 students to um, all of our home games. So it's a huge fundraiser. They are currently selling tickets. It takes place March 23rd at 530. And it is so big that it has to be at the Sunflower South building on the Kansas State Fairgrounds. Um, it is a casual night of food, fun, and fundraising for all who support Salt Hawk Athletics. They will also have dueling pianos, um, and I believe tickets start at $50 for an individual, but they're still selling tables. And you can, I'll give a shout out to my friend Amanda. She has no idea I'm about to give everybody her phone number, um, <laughs> but you can call her at 620-694-7994. That's Amanda Parks. Call Amanda Parks for your tickets to yep. the We Are So Salt Hawks fundraiser. That's a benefit and auction coming up on Saturday, the 23rd of March at the Sunflower South Building on the the Kansas State Fairgrounds. So it should be a whole lot of fun and a great opportunity for the the, the whole athletic program at Hutch High. And um, we're going to have an opportunity to talk to him once he becomes a district employee. But uh, you have a new activities director, athletic director, uh, Steve Kappenman, is going to be joining yep. the school district. So uh, looking forward to having somebody with some Hutch roots and also who's uh, been around a while and is a salt hawk uh, being in charge of that. So I know he he uh, he can't say that he would love to have people go attend that yet, but uh, but I know he would going into an, a great season. Parent, parental support is so huge when it comes to athletics. It is, and I think as athletics have grown from you know, everybody always says everything's different from back when I was in school. Um, these teams do um, fellowship dinners. They try to have custom t-shirts for everything um so everything's a little bit different from even back when we were in school which is not that long ago <laughs> um and you know it just really boosts the team morale and of course a lot of the effort the fundraising um it goes back to um, supporting the coaches um, with equipment or with the specific needs that they have for their particular sport. Um, you know, different things for soccer versus football and what have you. Um, but all of the money stays local, and that's why um, it's such a big deal for Hutch and such a big deal for our students. Well, and, and the important part about that, too, is we talk about leveling the playing field for students curricularly, and you can do that through school funding 
and we'll talk to Sheila about that a little bit here in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But it, but getting that playing level playing field for the athletes, um, the extracurricular activities that you you don't want any kid to have to say, hey, I can't go out for soccer or football or basketball or track or whatever else because. Well, I just don't have money for the stuff that it takes to get it done. Right. And and that's part of what this is about too. Absolutely. So every sport has some kind of barrier to entry, whether it's you need shoes, whether you need uniforms or um, you know, all of the things that go along with it. You need uh, money to eat while you travel. Um, and so the We Are Salt Hawks fundraiser kind of lifts up all of our students in order to, like you said, level the playing field. Um, and it really just increases access for all of our students. I would like to give a shout out to just a a snippet of the activities that um, USD 308 students and athletes participated in this past weekend. Um, We had our last home basketball games where we honored our current seniors and Mason Jones for his Shrine Bowl acceptance. We also had a dance competition, state swimming, regional wrestling, Reno County Spelling Bee, the NAACP Oratorical Poster Contest. We had nine students qualify last week for um, choir, band, and and orchestra, um, all-state ensemble. We had two students medal through um, the debate and forensics program. They medaled for Congress. And then we also had our Kidwind students um, who brought home two trophies for regionals. So it's not just athletics anymore. Um, Our students are doing a lot. And I think that this really speaks to um, the well-rounded students that we have at Hutch. Well, exactly. And that's the main, the main point of all of this is kids that are involved in something where they can show what they're good at, at school, they want to come back to school. And yep. that's uh, that that's that's so important as uh, as we go forward, and that's part of why the We Are Salt Hawks Ultimate Benefit and Auction is going to be so big for the school district, March twenty third. And again, their thanks to the Hutchinson Clinic for helping sponsor the auction as well. Sheila, I guess we should start with the Gannon dismissal um, because the school finance formula as it sits right now, and I I use that phrase on purpose, as it sits right now, is uh, being funded at the level at which the the legislature said it would be um, through their five or six year phase in period. And so without getting so nerdy that we lose everybody. Um, Let's try to explain just a little bit about how school funding works. In other words, there's a, uh, most of this money is actually allocated by the state. You guys don't get a whole lot of control over how much you get. That is correct. Probably 80% comes from the state. About 10% of our um, funding for the year comes from local taxes. So the major- and then a little bit from federal. But the majority of our funding is is from state funds. And even the portion of the mill levy that gets taken by school districts gets sent to Topeka and then spread out that way. It's not. It doesn't. It, it's not an immediate turnaround. The twenty. The twenty mills does not come back to three hundred eight. Not in the way. Not in the way that most people might think. 
That is correct. Um, we are, by state statute, we have to assess 20 mills locally. Um, we That money goes to the state. It is a few million dollars. We get back um, about $34 million based off of student enrollment and based off of student needs. And so we are one of the districts that benefit um, from, from state aid by quite a bit. So some of the districts, when they assess 20 mills, can raise a lot more money. For example, if you're in Johnson County, that just raises a lot more dollars. And so to equalize that or make um, provide the same opportunity for education to all students across Kansas, the state takes that and distributes it a little bit more equally across the state and then provides additional funding where we have um, high-risk students or students with higher needs. Right, and the the legislative language for this is similar tax efforts. And the reason why they do that is because there are places like Southeast Kansas, Galena is the one that always got brought up at the legislature, um, that just don't have much property wealth to speak of at all. And so um, if you wanted to raise, let's just give a round number just for just for just for guessing, $100,000 in Galena, you would have to assess way, way more mills of taxes there than you would to raise $100,000, say, in um, Leewood uh, or someplace like that in Johnson County. That's the... that's where the gap is, and that's where so-called equalization aid, that's why those that are lower property value districts, and 308 happens to be one relative to some of these other places, uh, end up with more money than otherwise they would get with just the 20 mills. That is correct. That's a great description. <laughs> and, and, and and it shouldn't matter for students in Kansas what county they live in or what district. They should have an equal opportunity. And so that is the whole purpose of the state formula in trying to equalize it. It's not a perfect system. Um, it's a complex formula, but that is the, the intent behind it. And it does go a long way towards helping equalize that. All right. So now we need to talk about current legislation. Any tweaking to the actual formula? I don't think I've seen any this year. No, not yet. Um, the current formula is good through 2027. Um, at that point, it expires, and I, I, we don't know what the new one will look like, if it'll look similar or if there'll be some big changes. But currently, nothing. There are some things that could impact some funding, but the formula will stay the same. All right. So what's the, what are the things that could impact funding that are in, in, in play right now, at least? Okay. Three, three big ones, especially for um, 308. One of those is the the student count that we use to determine the base amount of funding that we get. Um, in the past, it has been the prior year or what they call the second prior year. So they look back at our last two years of enrollment and we can use the highest number. They are looking at changing that to the current year or the preceding year. Um, for school districts that are growing and have increasing enrollment, that number is going up. And so that's a good thing to use the current year. For schools with declining enrollment, and we have been one that has seen a steady decline for the last 10 years, um, it means that that we won't be using two years back. Um, we're using current or previous, and so it will be a little bit bigger cut for us. Uh, the intention behind it, though, is to fund schools. So if you are growing and you have more, 100 more students this year, that you're being funded for those students. So that is the reason behind it. It is it does make sense. It may impact touch um, a little bit negatively. Right, because if you're going from, say, 100 to 90 to 80, you used to be able to count the 100. You'll yes. end up being able to count the 90 is the way I understood you. That is correct. Okay. So the the point being that hopefully this will help to allow the growing districts to get growing funding and the declining districts 
may have to make tougher decisions sooner, but it's really just a delay in the decision right now anyway. It's not necessarily any, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a one year difference. Correct, that is correct. Okay, uh, anything else that's up that needs to be talked about? Well, one of the big ones is special ed funding. Um, I, that's been a hot topic. And the governor has recommended a five-year phase-in to, the statute says um, that 92% of excess costs, so the cost to educate students in special ed, um, the state should fund 92% beyond what the um, a student that doesn't require any kind of special services would, would need. And um, in the last year, so 2023, about 76% of that excess cost was funded in 2024 it's about 69 percent um, so it's been declining and districts are having to absorb more of that cost the current um, house bill that's on the table is that they are calculating excess cost using a new formula in effect the state it would show that the state's going from 60 some percent of excess cost to 110 percent but they are not adding any additional dollars. It's just a new formula, and they're actually counting some of the weightings twice. And so it would look like that percent is being met, but there are not additional dollars right now. Is there a reason for that uh, from a statutory, like federal level, uh, a, a a maintenance of effort level for, for idea or anything like that? Is there is there a is there a pass down? Um, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I know that federally we are supposed to have up to 40% of the excess cost funded there, and it's at about 13%. So it's really a combination. I think the state gets blamed, but our federal is underfunded and the state is underfunded there. So, um, you know, we still provide the services to students. It just means that local districts are absorbing more and more of the cost and pulling from other programs to make sure we are providing services to students that need it. And Stacey, we didn't talk about the nominations for the awards that are going to be done at convocation, but you do that this time of year for the, for the upcoming August. We do, absolutely. So right now you have three days left to nominate your certified employee of the year and the classified employee of the year. And so to break that down for people who don't work in education, the certified employee, that is going to be teachers, social workers, special education teachers, people who hold a specific license, for instance. And then the classified employee, those are nurses, secretaries, paras, educators, or I'm sorry, paraeducators, custodians. Um, so so if you want to make a nomination, we, we encourage parents, grandparents, students even, um, even if you're a community member, um, to go to our website. It is usd308.com slash EOY, which is for Employee of the Year, and make the nomination. You don't have to remember certified versus classified. It, it is broken down on the website for you, but click the link, make the nomination. Those are due on the 23rd, so a couple days to get those in. Okay, so, and then they give those along with the other Teacher of the Year awards all at convocation so everybody can see it in front of everybody else. Correct, so over the next couple of months before school lets out, there's a committee that meets, it's top secret, they narrow it down, they read all of the nominations, and then the um, at convocation on August 7th, when we welcome back all of our staff at the sports arena, um, that is when we'll make the, the big announcement. Um, they get an award they come down front take a picture with everybody um, it's a really special moment and it is just one more way that we um, are able to honor our staff um, and I think what's 
what's most touching is that because we have the nominations open to the community, really anybody can participate. So if you, even if you're a grandparent, um, I don't want you to think that your opinion doesn't matter. I want to read nominations from everybody, um, even fellow educators, um, people within the district. Please go make those nominations. On that same website is the Davis Foundation 2024 Teacher of the Year nomination form. That one is a little bit different. Um, that is through the Davis Foundation, and they uh, and it's for teachers only. And they will hand a cash award of four thousand dollars to the recipient. They do have multiple recipients each year. There are a handful of people who are not eligible this year because they have been recent winners. But all of that is on the website usd308.com/eoy. Um, so please make those nominations. Anybody can make the Davis Foundation nomination as well. And then those folks find out again at, at uh, convocation. And then we honor everybody one more time at one of the fall football games. You know, Sheila, there are a couple of non-school funding related, uh, but school adjacent bills. The one that's going to get all the play is the trying to get kids to not have their cell phones at school and or not have their cell phones driving through school zones. That's the one that's going to get the uh, get the headlines. But my goodness, wouldn't that be difficult to police as I sit here looking at my own phone next to the laptop? <laughs> yes, it would. Um, you know, as a longtime teacher, I was teaching before cell phones were a thing, and then I was teaching when everybody had them. And um, to say we're going to ban cell phones is is great in theory, uh, but in reality, if that's all I worried about as a teacher, that is all I would get done. Um, you, at some point, you had to say, put them to the side and keep let's keep going. And so that's the challenge with it. If this, if that becomes um, in, in statute or becomes law, it's the managing of that, that at the local level that is, is hard. So, and, and I even think about how many meetings do we as adults sit through and I'm listening, but my phone is sitting right there. I may even glance at it and check it from time to time. So it is just a part of our culture at this point. Well, and uh, I probably shouldn't say this because uh, members of our congregation uh, listen to the radio but uh, but I'm in, I'll sit there in church and play a game and listen to the listen to the minister. I mean uh, seriously. Uh, so I, yeah, you can't really. I mean it's just become ubiquitous these days. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm getting the shame shame from everybody else. But 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 it really has. It's become one of those things where um, it, you want them to know how to use it as a tool, but you also don't want it to impede the educational process. I understand the goal that they're trying to reach, and maybe we should talk about that more as a framework to legislation generally, Sheila. We can see what the goals are that they're trying to reach with some of this legislation, but that's where testimony and talking to people about things like school funding and how is this going to work practically uh, becomes such a big part of that process. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. I don't disagree with it. It'd be great if people didn't have cell phones out. Um, but you also have to pick your battles. Um, you also mentioned something about games. I remember as a teacher using, um, students might use the calculator on there, or we might do a game up on the smart board and they use their um, cell phone to respond to things. So they can be used in a positive way as well. But you're you're right. The This really should be a local control issue, and each individual school board should be able to de determine that rather than that's determined for the state. And then we figure out how to manage that. Well, and so 
at least from what I understood from the legislative forum, which uh, we talked afterwards, so I know you were there too, Sheila, uh, it looks like everything school funding-wise is kind of going to get left alone this year, but it's the coming years that we, that we wonder about whether they're going to continue forward because what is it you said 2027 is 2027 the current funding formula um, is set to sunsets and so a new formula will have to replace that it could look very similar Um, there could be major changes to it so that's a big unknown for school districts all right and one big piece of that is so-called at-risk weighting which the proxy that they've used for that at least this formula is free and reduced lunch numbers and i'm not sure that that's a great number way to get that number but it's close and and so how does at-risk funding work for schools so you're you're right if if students qualify for free um free meals then we get a little bit of additional funding or an additional weighting they call it Um, but we get a little additional funding to help support students A, a lot of times students have extra needs and that that helps support that um it's not a perfect system but it it has become a large part of funding for school districts across Kansas. One of the things on the table this year um, is that they are going to put more accountability on it, and I understand um, the desire to do that. In reality, what that's looking like is that districts will need to set goals and submit reports on students and track um, some different, they're calling it two, you'll have to have two cohorts or two groups of students and track them. Um, If they don't meet a three or four, which is proficient on state um, English and math state assessments, then if one group doesn't meet that, you could lose half of your funding for at risk. If at both groups, you could lose all. And I am in 100% a 100% support of accountability and, and school districts monitoring and, and assessing what we're doing. The challenge is if we start losing funding to support and provide additional supports for students that need it, then it becomes even more, I think we're compounding the issue and it makes it even harder to get students to the level that we we need them to be at. So again, it's it's difficult to to say, and then these these one through four gradings, uh, this is just like, a series of tests these kids take. These are high stakes tests that they get that you get this from, right? Correct. Um, it's a once a year test, and and we put a lot of um, put a lot of stock in it. So there's there's a lot more to measure success in uh, students these days than just one written test or one computerized test. Right, and and the effort on that can be so different, especially with at risk kids, um, because you have no control over. Whether they ate dinner last night or whether um, there's something that happened at home that they're having, having issues with that's separate from school or whether they had uh, hot water for their shower in the morning and all of those kinds of things that, uh, that I'm using as proxies for poverty with, with all due mm-hmm. respect um, that may have happened the day before this big test. And they may be um, a four brain that has a two day. Um, I I scored standardized tests as a uh, a person that works for Pe- worked for Pearson Educational Measurement uh, between radio jobs, and we had that same one through four scale for tests for fourth graders, and 
that and I just thought to myself, it, it, there was no way to know when you looked at a piece of paper, you had to actually read it, whether it was going to be a one or a four. Uh, you couldn't tell by their handwriting. You couldn't tell by anything other than just absolutely spending the time. And and that's where it is a struggle for parents um, sometimes to say, okay, it, to, to even get the kids to understand how important that the, the tests are. Um, it's a very difficult piece to go to. Now, having said all of that, Sheila, um, I did see a release from Shawnee Heights, USD 450 in Northeast Kansas uh, that was released last night. Their Board of Education has approved you as their new superintendent starting in July. And so, first of all, um, I'm for, for 308's sake, I'm sad because you've done a great job here. But, uh, but what are your thoughts on moving up to lead a district uh, in the coming years? Well, thank you, Nick. Um, First of all, I'm sad in a lot of ways as well. I started um, right out of college. I graduated from WSU, and my first job was in USD 308 as a substitute, and then I started that fall as a, a teacher. So I have a long history in USD 308. This is where we raised our kids. This has been home for a long time. Um, you know, I just, this was kind of a natural step. In October, I wasn't really looking. In November, somebody in the Shawnee Heights community reached out and said, I think you ought to look at this. This would be a great fit for you. And the more I looked into it, um, Shawnee Heights is a great community. The school district is within about 100 students of, of what Hutch is. And so the size was very similar, a lot of similarities in course offerings and programs, and it just felt really comfortable. And so, and last week I went up and toured the district and... Um, it really enjoyed it. So I am very excited about this new opportunity and hope that I can use, um, I've had a variety of different um, positions over the years. I started in elementary. I spent a long time in high school or in secondary. I've um, been an elementary and a secondary administrator. So I'm excited about getting to do the K-12 and, and it's a new learning opportunity. Again, she's going to be superintendent of schools for Shawnee Heights USD 450. That is in Tecumseh, just to the east of Topeka. So there are some... There are some Topeka kids in that school district, but generally speaking, it's the kids off to the east of the capital city that uh, are in the Shawnee Heights School District. 